Caught Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught Offside from the Upper West Side of Manhattan. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. We have our first two UEFA Champions League quarterfinalists. What's up, brother? Hey, man. I'm, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well as well. Nice to be in studio with you. I love it. I always love these shows. I cherish these moments. It's good to see you. I cherish your sweater. Andrew's wearing a really fetching sweater. And let's be honest, sometimes your your work choices are, I don't know, they don't work for me. <laughs> but, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. I, I care greatly. Yeah, sometimes you go with the, the polo neck, and it's just a really bland kind of dad polo neck. But this is a nice sweater. Bland. Very. For, for, for people listening, I'm wearing literally a gray sweater. But it has a lovely... There's nothing interesting about no, it. I like it, it's but got, I like bland. The cut is nice. There's a nice collar on it. You've got a haircut as well because... I think that's really... This this haircut was a winner, and I don't often say that. It's the rug that ties the whole thing together. I think that it's... In some way, it's kind of like infiltrated your mind, and so everything else about me just looks better because the hair is working. I think it was the animals on Reddit that were making fun of your... I mean, they described it as a Lego head. Clip, I mean, look, clip on hair. Yeah, they, they're yeah. not wrong. It's a different world now. Like, I come into work, there's no one here. I see one guy every day. It's just different than, like, when you would show up to work and you felt like I need to be at yeah. least somewhat presentable. I'm going to see a lot of people. Like, I don't know, but, like, it's just not like that anymore. It's it's. I'm not saying I show up in pajamas, but like you don't really care as much. <laughs> kind of you give. There's a lot of give up. Yeah. Uh, what to wear? What do I wear today? Uh, whatever. The hoodie and the those big baggy jeans and whatever. Uh, yeah. Haircut. Eh, I don't really need it. I'll tell you what. This week on the podcast, we are not giving up. I mean, first of all, I resent the idea that we ever do, which is kind of what you were implying. Sometimes we're tired. But no, you're right. There is. It's, I've been saying this the last few weeks. There just feels like an unusual amount going on. Obviously, we have UEFA Champions League to talk about from Tuesday's games. Uh, we'll go over those. Liverpool and Bayern Munich are through. Uh, we have a few updates, JJ, from over in Europe and how um, the Russia-Ukraine situation is impacting the world of football because there are a few things that have gone on, including Roman Abramovich putting Chelsea up for sale, which is no small tidbit of news to get into. Uh, Premier League, obviously, Manchester Derby over the weekend. Everton really dancing in the danger zone now. Um, Some MLS things, including an incredible debut uh, in terms of the scene in Charlotte. Maybe not necessarily the the outcome that they were looking for, but the scene was literally historic. Uh, So there's a lot to do. Carly Lloyd speaking out. We've got a a very small mailbag, but a very pointed mailbag. So, yeah. But, But you're not even talking about what's coming on Friday. Oh, no. I mean, I thought we were teasing this podcast that we're doing now. We have a bonus podcast on Friday. Obviously, we'll touch on what happens with the Wednesday Champions League games. That is massively important. Mm-hmm. PSG Real Madrid. I mean, that's that's a biggie. But no, special guest, JJ. Why don't you tell the people who will be joining us? Former Arsenal legend and current BBC pundit, ITV pundit, excuse me, uh, pundit everywhere, really, and a legend of the footballing world, Mr. Ian Wright is joining us on the podcast. I'm so eager to speak with him. Obviously, we'll talk everything with him on Friday because yeah. he's one of those guys who he's just well-versed in every subject that you could throw at him. But obviously, there's going to be an Arsenal slant to that conversation. And I'm so interested to speak with him about that club because I feel like they're having one of the most interesting seasons of any club so far. 
if you think back to the way their season started, and we'll get into this a little bit later in this podcast when we talk about uh, their 3-2 win over Watford over the weekend, uh, but if you think about like from where they came from to what they are now to what's happened in between with Obama Yang, like it's just been such a, a bizarre season where you've had a manager on the hot seat at certain points. Now he might be a manager who could be in the running for manager of the season. It's just been one of those weird, really weird years for them. And now you look at them and you say they might actually be in the drive. I mean, they are in the driver's seat for top four, but it's it's kind of theirs to lose. So uh, I'm just curious to kind of gauge someone who really has his finger on the pulse of what is happening with that club. Yeah, I don't care about any of that, really. Oh, I'm curious about a guy who came off a building site and ended up as Arsenal breaking the Arsenal goal-scoring record and then was only bettered by Thierry Henry in later years. Mm-hmm. I, I, his career is absolutely fascinating to me. You know, I was being facetious there. I obviously care. Well, I guess we'll have something for everyone. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just... Uh, he's just a fascinating character and um, his TV persona... The more he's put himself out into the media and the podcasts that he does... He did, he did a Desert Island Discs, which is basically songs that he loves that kind of complement his life. And I was in tears listening to it. Hmm. He's this guy that he's very emotional, he's very real, and he seems like a very good person. And if Ian Wright does something in England that's of interest or not, it goes viral. Sometimes for for mostly for good reasons, and sometimes he gets caught up in, in conversations and things that are a lot tougher than that, and hopefully we'll get to talk to him about all of it. So that should be fun. That's Friday. But as for today... We'll start with Liverpool, JJ. 2-1 is your final on aggregate. They lose 1-0 on the night at home. Not a thing that happens very often. Inter are actually the first team to beat Liverpool at home this season. Um, But even when they lose, they win. It's just kind of that era for Liverpool right now. Um, I know after the first leg, we kind of looked at the second leg and said, I really see no way that this gets turned around. Right. Now, in the end, we were right, but it was close. And I would imagine, you know, the, the look, the red card against Alexis Sanchez certainly helped. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was one of those where I almost felt bad for him because I, I don't think that he was trying to be malicious. He wasn't. It, it probably was a red card. You go in stud, studs up and you make contact with somebody's ankle, you're, you're probably getting tossed. Even if you get all of the ball beforehand, which as he did. He did. Which he did. Um, so so I, I kind of felt for him because it really didn't seem like once that happened there was going to be any way back for Inter, even though they only needed one goal to send it to extra time. I still would imagine it was um, – how can I say this on a Disney-owned – podcast were you were you nervous for the last you know 20 30 minutes of that game yes yes I was I I thought Inter I I wasn't sure that Inter could do what they did in the first leg in the second leg at Anfield and they absolutely did they gave Liverpool such a hard time never gave them a chance to settle on the ball when they got on it they were good but the problem is they didn't really again they created chances but they never created the kind of clear-cut stuff and they never took their chances they were I was trying to think of a good analogy for them. It's They were like trying to eat a wonderful, beautiful, succulent steak and trying to cut it with a butter knife. They were so blunt. I, it, I can't remember the last time I, I, I seen a team over two legs dominate 
both those legs in terms of they played the better football. They played way better than Liverpool over the two legs and still not get it done. I think you're done. selling Liverpool a little bit no, short. I'm no, I'm not. If anyone who watched... Right. No. Why, why am I selling them short? I mean, if I think about Inter over the first two legs... Like, if you want to go with that analogy, okay, I would say that they felt to me like a boxer who threw a ton of punches that didn't really connect on any Mm, of them. Yeah. Is that good? Like, I can think of a lot of half chances. Well, the opponent boxer is on the back foot most of the time, is what I'm saying. But then the opponent boxer throws three haymakers and wins the fight. Yeah. Like, you're not touching me. I'm fine. I'm blocking all of these jabs. Boom, bang, you're gone. But even I'm through, like. Even the goal that Inter scored tonight was. It was a beautiful goal. <laughs> it was. It was a great goal. Yeah, but it was a worldie. It was out of the blue. It wasn't one that came from an intricate passing or, or a very good session of play from Inter. It was an out-of-the-world goal because that was the only way they were going to score. Every other option had been exhausted. They slashed at things. Alexis Sanchez slashed at one. There was another one in the box. Uh, You know, and Liverpool had their chances too. Well, that's that's the thing is like if we're going to play this game of give Inter some real credit, you know, think of the chances they had. They had a lot of half chances over the course of 180 minutes and not much more. They scored one goal, which like you just said, came out of the blue. They hit the crossbar in the first leg. In the second leg, Lotura Martinez had one ball in the middle of the box, probably should have passed it off, instead took it himself, scuffed it wide. That's really the bulk of the quality know, chances but, they had. But that's... that. that you, you talked about selling Liverpool short. Liverpool hit that's the, selling those of us who watched 180 minutes of football short. In I'm the, not saying that they played poorly, in but the it didn't trenches, result in much of anything. In the midfield, in 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 the on what I always say on this podcast, on the preponderance of football, the preponderance of the play, Inter were the better side. They were. Liverpool hit the bar. They hit the post yeah, three yeah, times know, today, and then near late in this game to really put it away, Arturo Vidal dove in and made one of the great deflections I've seen in a while. Like Liverpool could have easily scored four goals in this game. That's not even including Van Dijk having essentially a free header that was kind of deflected right as he was leaving his head that I thought he was going to and, score on. And I think Liverpool have a way better attack than Inter Milan, and they've certainly got brighter and fresher players in the forward line. And the XG reflects, even from tonight where you thought, God, Liverpool got lucky. 1.87, Inter, 0.26. I don't think, who's saying Liverpool got lucky? Besides you. What? Who's saying that? No, I'm, it's, it's, you see, the game, try and look at the game as a whole, Andrew. <laughs> Stop, like, you were just on about crossbars and all that stuff. Inter played The game well. is about goals, and Inter didn't right. really well, come that just close to scoring do, them. If, if we're just going to do that, then we just, we, we could, might as well just read the scoreline out and move on. Inter, Stop Liverpool from doing a lot of the things they like to do. Liverpool, being the good side they are, still created enough chances, a lot of chances, but Inter were blunt at the other end. That's it in a nutshell. So that's it. We move on now? I mean, what else? What is this exactly? What are you playing some kind of mind games here? I'm not. I'm just saying you can have a good Inter performance like that still not create the chances they needed to. They can get a goal, and Liverpool can, you know, hit the post. How many times they hit the post tonight? Three tonight. Three tonight. Okay. Are right. you not hearing me? I'm not saying that Inter were crap. Right. I haven't said that at any point. I'm just saying I think you're you're kind of underselling the fact that Liverpool, I think, felt kind of comfortable over the course of these two legs. I never... Uh, the closing minutes of the first leg when, when Liverpool went 2-0 up felt comfortable, and when... 
uh, but tonight didn't feel comfortable at all in the game. That's just the way I felt. All right, I, I, I comfortable's th- comfortable's not the right word because Inter only needed one more goal to have sent this to extra time. So I'm sure that there was nervousness at the end. And I think I've but, watched two uncomfortable outings for Liverpool now back to back: the West Ham game at the weekend and Inter tonight. So maybe that's well, whatever you want to call coloring the way I feel. Liverpool are through to the quarterfinals. They are, Andrew. And, we can uh, agree on that. And that is for them. That is good. Liverpool good. Inter out of the Champions League. We move on, JJ, unless you have any more on that. No, I, I really don't. Okay. Uh, we move on then to today's other second leg, which was Bayern Munich and Salzburg. Fascinating first two minutes. Both teams probably could have scored. Would have set up, would have been very interesting had that happened. Um, neither one scored in those two minutes. And then Bayern scored. And then they scored. And scored and scored and scored, and they continued to score, and this was just a horrifying shellacking. It was one of those... Stop it! Stop it! Just somebody end this. Stop it. He's already dead. They have a way of doing this, Bayern Munich. We've seen them do it before. They did it again. Salzburg are on the receiving end this time. 7-1 on the night, 8-2 on aggregates. And, and this was a tie that you have to remember we entered with thinking, oh, that first leg, things are close. There's a little bit of jeopardy in it. No, well, I, th- I think after the first leg, didn't we say, I mean, look, in the end it was foolish to have even said this, but didn't we kind of leave it thinking, oh, that goal that Bayern scored to tie, yeah. oh, that could really, be, that could matter. That could be important. Salzburg really could have used a win at home. <laughs> well, I mean, like, if they had won 1-0, would it have made any difference tonight? Obviously, like, I feel like this, no, this was but... in the works. <laughs> <laughs> this was on the way. Uh, it was funny because Salzburg, obviously, knowing their place in the firmament of European football, tweeted the Brazilian man with the mustache who was holding a World Cup in the stadium when in 2014 when the 7-1 happened. The mustachioed man who was clearly just couldn't believe what he was witnessing. And they put a Salzburg hat on him. Oh. And they put him holding the European Cup. And uh. they said, why is it always the Germans? So, gotta love some self-deprecating humor. Well, look, they know where they are. Uh, well, I mean, look, we were talking, watching some of it, and like, look at the the faces of the players on that team. Children who will soon play for Bayern Munich. <laughs> I mean, but seriously, like it. I don't mean to be pandering or condescending to them. Let's be honest. It's an achievement for them to reach the knockout stage of the Champions League. And by the way, their home fans will always have the memory of tying Bayern Munich 1-1 at home. They were there. They saw that. In the end, it was it was obviously poisoned by this. But, like, there's no reason to feel, you know, embarrassed or anything like that. They're not in the class of a Bayern Munich. And that was that bore itself out tonight. Kiergaard, who came on and scored the goal for... Um Salzburg, the assist from a great run by Brendan Aronson. He's 18 years of age. Yeah. And he looks every bit of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, lots of interesting stats to come out of this one, as is typically the case when a team scores seven goals. Robert Lewandowski, JJ, hat trick within 23 minutes of kickoff. It's the second earliest tra- uh, hat trick in European Cup history and the earliest since 1955. And I will not, this is not even trivia question territory. You stand no chance. John Erickson completed a hat-trick in 22 minutes for Jurgardens on October 12, 1955, against Polish club Guardia Warsaw in the second leg of the first round ever played in European Cup history. Wow. And then tonight, linking generations, Robert Lewandowski. He also joins Messi and Ronaldo 
as the only players in this competition to have five or more hat tricks. Does it is it sullied in any way by the fact that two of his goals were penalties? Yeah, okay. sullied. Yeah. Now he did draw them. I know from some panicked and rash tackling in the box. Although, what are you going to do? If you find yourself on the wrong side of Robert Lewandowski, you kind of just have to go for it and you're, hope the ref doesn't see it. Like, you're I don't know. not going to be... One of them was an attempt at a go-go gadget leg that was just going to go around and try yeah. and whip the ball away, but it wasn't happening. Yeah. Ugh. I, I don't like seeing that. Those kind of beatings. I don't like it. No, unless you're administering it. Early rounds, fair enough. Preliminary rounds, if a big team has to go through through that avenue to get to the group stage but not not like this in the last 16. Thomas Muller also gets his 51st goal in the Champions League on 133 appearances. Uh, that moves him into 7th all-time on the scoring list in this competition passing Thierry Henry, which was a theme this week uh in in soccer. Thierry Henry being passed out, yeah. Yeah. And uh, we'll get to the other one a little bit later on in the And Frank podcast. Lampard could soon be passed out or has been passed out. Soon, one more goal, I believe. One more goal for yeah. We'll get to that. Well, I mean, he was passed out in other ways. But. Um, with regards to this, look, I mean, sitting here and analyzing this almost seems silly. Bayern Bar- Munich were spectacular. Like they were, they were absolutely brilliant. They were downhill um, most of the way, almost the entirety. I'm good, for, like we said, good for Salzburg to have gotten a goal from this. Uh, but even after that, Bayern just poured it on. It's like they punished Salzburg for doing that. Um, and it was just very Bayern of them. You know, everyone looked good in this game. Muller, Lewandowski, Leroy Sané has come on and looks, you know, every bit the player we thought he would turn into. Uh, I guess I would ask you, you know, we, we talk a lot about Manchester City, Liverpool. Uh, we've spoken about PSG. Um, Bayern, though, it, does this serve as any kind of statement? Did a statement even need to be made? Can it be a statement when it's against Again, not trying to be condescending. Salzburg, uh, they're in that they're in that upper echelon, yeah, and we know they are. So that's kind of maybe just hammers at home in your mind, just in case you've forgotten about them. Right. Um, John Muller from the Athletic channeled uh, Billy Bean, played by Brad Pitt, where he's discussing where the Oakland A's are in the table, in the hierarchy of baseball. Mm-hmm. Uh, John put it this way. The problem is there are City, Liverpool, and Bayern. And there are Chelsea sometimes. Then there's 50 feet of crap. And then there's literally everyone. Uh, who, sh- who should be... I hear that. I mean, look, he's not wrong in some of the clubs that he identified there. By the way, Chelsea are reigning champions, but okay, fair enough. They've had some off years um, where they haven't even been in the competition. Um there are some teams that should probably be offended by that. Well, I suppose Atleti just would that would that would prick them in the wrong way. They wouldn't like to see that. Um, Manchester United, they would feel that well, way it, too. But they don't. They don't deserve to be. I mean, if we're talking about overall European football, that is a that is a kind of a fair summation, especially considering where Real Madrid and Barcelona are right now. Where's Real Madrid right now? Eight points atop the table in La Liga. They're nowhere in the, in terms of of European football right now. But okay, they're probably but, about. But that, they're probably PSG should knock them out this week. PSG likely to be without Kylian Mbappe. That's true. That may change my calculation somewhat. But they're not. They're not really anywhere. Not not recently. Like if if you look at the the overall powerhouses of European football, I mean, we're not including Barcelona in that now, are we? 
well, they're not even in the competition anymore. Correct. They're in the Europa League. So, so no, Real, Real Madrid. Not. Oh, look, all these. But Real, I'm saying Real Madrid, Manchester United, Barcelona have all fallen away. Juventus to different degrees. Is that is that okay. fairer? Even Atleti. Uh, all right, sure. But like, if he's talking about historically, like that that tweet is not just referencing this year's Champions League, right? Because if I were if I were Real Madrid, I'd be like, I'm sorry, how many have the rest of you won in the last decade? I think he's talking now. Uh, well, then I guess that's a different story. But whoever comes whoever comes out of PSG Real Madrid victorious is going to look at that tweet and be motivated by it. Well, I'd put that up in a bulletin board. I, I hear a, there's just going to be so many angry messages coming towards our Twitter at Sewa Soccer Pod, our Instagram caught offside ESPN, just from fans who will be insulted thinking that we are uh, that we composed this tweet. <laughs> that's just the way it works. We had nothing to do with it. Well, we're going to get in the neck for just for what we said for the last five minutes. That's the way it works now. We. Yep. Well, I, you, you won't, you won't go near it. <laughs> no, because I, I, I believe Real Madrid and PSG should probably feel slighted for not uh, being included there. I don't know. I'm all about inclusion, JJ. I've always said that about myself. Um, before we move off of the Champions League, there were I, we knew this was coming, but it was made official. Certain alterations to the Champions League. Um, before you even read what they are, I, I will say. I will speak for pretty much everyone. Oh, there was the odd contrarian, the odd guy that, you know, well, you don't understand really because, no, it it's crap. Well, don't, look, the group stage, let, let's put it this way, before I read anything, mm-hmm. there'll be more games. There'll be 36 teams. It'll be one massive table. The group stage is already a bore for some people. It's already... There's no jeopardy in it. We know who's going through. The idea that we should do more of that by 10 games is crazy. And you're also playing a huge, as Jonathan Wilson pointed out, you're also playing a huge amount of games just to eliminate X amount of teams. Mm -hmm. It's just bloated. It's not better. And most people agree with that. Yeah, and and I would too. Not even necessarily because the new format is, is so objectionable to me. Like we'll watch it, and I'm sure there will there will still be exciting days ahead. The only problem I have is like, you kind of found perfection. Like the way it is now is great. I wouldn't touch a thing in the imperfect, imbalanced, monetarily unfair world of European soccer. The last few years, maybe the last decade or more of the Champions League from the round of sixteen onwards has been thrilling stuff. It's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Right. So that part is good. The group stage is what it is. I, I don't see how meddling with it in this... I don't see how this makes it better. Is that, that That's just the way I feel. Like, let's get through it, Andrew, because... Mm-hmm. Ugh, this is from Gimme Sport. Instead of 32 clubs spread across eight groups, as we've become accustomed to, the Champions League will be altered to one massive league table comprised of 36 competitors. The new format means that teams will play four more matches than under the current setup, with each club facing 10 different opponents in the group stages, five at home and five on the road. Another point to be made, we're trying to look after players now so and make sure we have top-level players fit for the big games. How does this help? This means that competitors will get the chance to test themselves against a wider range of adversaries, with UEFA hoping that this leads to more high-profile clashes in the early stages of the tournament. The top eight teams in the final league table will automatically qualify for the round of 16, while the sides that placed between 9th and 24th will then be added into an additional playoff round. 
The clubs ranked between 9th and 16th will be seeded, leading to clashes with home advantage against the 17th to 24 teams, where the eight winners will also progress to the knockout rounds. From the is, it ra- a, is that a single leg? Mm, I don't know. Okay. Doesn't say. From the round of 16 onwards, the Champions League will remain in its current format. Well, that's good. The Europa League and Europa Conference League will also experience their own versions of this setup shift. I, I got bored reading it. Yeah. I, I mean, what I don't like about it is the imbalanced schedules. Um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't love that. It's one of the things that's fair about the group stage right now. You get, you're in a group. Everybody's playing the same opponents, home and away. It, it just works. Uh, this one, that will not be the case. I, I'm kind of curious how they're going to come up with the fixture list for it, each team. It does feel like there'll be a lot of junk games as well. It, it you know, and yeah, I mean, look, that's something that does exist now too. So it I'm, does. So I, I won't know. necessarily so why, pile on for that reason. Yeah. Um, but there are other reasons to not like it, and yeah, I think it's just like example one of messing with a good thing. I, just, I, re- I and and it just worries me. Like, you know, I mean, well, we've already seen like World Cup changes are coming. I was going to say that this is like. This is phase one, and you know, of messing with good things in sports for the sake of, I don't know, whatever ulterior motives there are. More games, more money, more yeah. TV. That's the way it looks like it's been calculated in the minds of those in UEFA. And I remember the second group stage of the Champions League when that briefly, I think it happened for one or two seasons as at the start of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Andrew, it was, I mean, there was a Newcastle, Newcastle went to play Barcelona. In the new camp, there was no one there. Just an irrelevance. Well, look, I'll say this: we'll still love it, JJ. All right, uh, you you will we'll still, love it from round sixteen onwards, definitely. We'll that be much very we invested in the. Are they calling it the group stage? I don't know what that initial stage of it They're is. They're calling the, really the big league. Okay. Uh, <laughs> you I, don't I, know. I, I don't know the large league. So there you go. That's Champions League uh, for Tuesday. Obviously, two more games coming on Wednesday. We'll be able to cover those on the bonus podcast on Friday later this week. JJ, we move now. Quick update on Russia-Ukraine issues impacting the world of football. And I'll, I'll go through these quickly. You can kind of jump in as you as you have stuff here. The Premier League has suspended its broadcasting deal with Russia. No games will be shown there for the foreseeable future. Uh, the TV rights for the Premier League were owned by the Rambler Group. The company was in its final year of a three-year deal to show matches in Russia. That begins now. This is all with immediacy. So no, like there's midweek games, there's Thursday games in the Premier League. Well, they, that's it. The deal's been essentially torn up in a separate move, unrelated. The FA has also suspended its deal with Russia. So FA Cup quarterfinals, none of that. Um, as the further kind of isolation of Russia from the, the global community continues, um, we've seen it in terms of sanctions, and now we see it in a, in a sporting sense. Uh, Scotland, their World Cup playoff semifinal against the Ukraine has been postponed, and therefore the final. Uh, versus either Wales or Austria will be delayed as well. Uh, in terms of where this is going to get played, where this will be moved to, no date has been found as of yet, but they're kind of, it seems like, eyeballing that Nations League window in June. That yeah. seems to be probably the most likely option. You know, it's interesting. You look at Ukraine, JJ, and their national team, 15 of their 23-man pool for this the, for World Cup qualifiers are guys who play for clubs based in that country. Yeah, And, like, Obviously, the league is on hold. Their lives are on hold. Their lives are in, in danger. Yeah, uh, so, I, I don't know how how this works for them. It, well, I just wonder. I mean, look, it's impossible to see down the road of how this is all going to play out. There's no way of knowing. Um, 
when will be the right time for them to reconvene and be able to play in arguably the most important game of a lot of their professional lives? I mean, man, oh, man. That's impossible to predict. It, it's a genuine nightmare. And like you say, how can you fix a date for this? When they'll be fit, when they'll be active, when they'll be playing, when they'll be safe. Yeah. Thankfully, everyone here, you know, sometimes you get these weird situations um, where a team is inconvenienced in some way. You know, we saw it a little bit with when Tottenham in the Conference League had their COVID break breakout within the ranks. And who was it? Wren they were facing in the final group stage match. Tottenham wanted the game moved because they were dealing with this. And Wren was basically absolutely not. This is wrong. You know, sometimes you get stuff like that. That has not been the case here. It'd be ver- Scotland, everyone more than amenable to the changes that are are being proposed and uh, more than amenable to to this being postponed and delayed, um, which is exactly the reaction that you would hope. Anything other than that would be pretty much unacceptable. Uh, And then finally, JJ, like we mentioned at the start of the show, Roman Abramovich has put Chelsea up for sale. Yeah. Wow. I mean... We thought his his move to uh, kind of give the stewardship and care, as he called it, which was, again, not legal terms and very vague, over to the trustees of the board of Chelsea. I, I felt... When, I thought that was insulating. When we when we read that statement from him, to me, um, there was nothing legal about that. To me, it felt like purely a PR move. Yeah. Okay? Like, we don't want Chelsea to be viewed in this moment like the Russian club in the Premier League because we have we at least have the wherewithal to understand the way Russia is being viewed right now. Russia, bad. Like, that's it's pretty simple. We need to remove that image from this Chelsea team. So let's put out a vague statement that kind of removes the Russian owner from the equation. But, like, legally, it didn't sound anything at all like he was no longer going to be the owner of the club. And now he's taken steps to no longer be that person. Well, there was a Swiss billionaire that, that leaked a lot of information about this, and he basically said Abramovich wants rid and wants rid quickly. Uh, now, Abramovich has said it's not about the money, so he won't be looking for his $1.5 billion loan back. Uh, I mean, how that works with financial fair play or any of these things, I don't know. Imagine being so rich that you can kind of just, like, like this kind of money but almost doesn't register. Don't forget, he is going to get paid for the club from <laughs> yeah. someone. We should, And he said he's going to give a percentage of the net... Uh, uh, those proceeds to to charity to a Ukrainian mm-hmm. charity, but um, I mean, look from a strictly soccer perspective, it, it's a landmark moment. Just as him buying the club in the first place was a landmark moment, he changed the landscape of European football uh, for the worse and for the better for the club for the Chelsea. I mean, honestly, it's got to be viewed, like you say, for better or worse. It's got to be viewed as one of the most transformative moments in the history of the sport. Yeah, it made Chelsea a team that that was, I mean, when Chelsea were bought by Abramovich, they were on the edge of bankruptcy. They were about to go out of business. And um, Abramovich came in and turned things on its head. He massively inflated transfer uh, fees to the point where we've never really recovered. It's the... The economic gap he created was huge, mm-hmm. and the race and the and the money spent was just just changed the landscape of the game. And it was sort of proof that like money 
equals on-field success. And it was and it was a model that, that was then followed. I mean, he barely had the club 18 months and they'd won a Premier League. He came in, they made huge signings under Ranieri and then they followed it up immediately afterwards. And they could buy someone like Kejman and it not work out for big money, big money at the time, and it wouldn't work out. And he could pay the best wages and attract people to, to Stamford Bridge. And he did... He made Chelsea relevant, or more relevant than they were, <laughs> very much more relevant. He made them a European powerhouse. What that did to European football is probably not good. And irreparable, and irre- or so it seems. It seems irreparable. Um, because, well, it's been followed up right. by Manchester City and PSG, who have continued that, that drive. And Newcastle. And now... We'll see. Well, I mean, we'll see how it plays They out, haven't but- even started revving the engines on what they could potentially do. Come on, Chris Wood. Um, I mean, look, it's interesting because there's, you know, there's a generation of soccer fans that he's such an indelible image of that club. Um, you know, like I, I think of guys who are just like so, so like tied into the fabric of a team. You know, it's kind of like that- Sir Alex with Manchester United and. and for a generation of fans, Abramovich, and and for what he turned Chelsea into, but he's, if I showed you a face of this, if I showed you a picture of him, you wouldn't say Russian oligarch. No, I say that's oh that guy owns Chelsea. I I didn't know until this weekend that he was also a like a leader of a region for a while. He was like the head of a region in Russia. He was like its its president, the president of a region. Never knew that. Didn't know anything about. I didn't know that until no, this moment because football has made him. Has made made his image a football image, basically, and so, yeah. I mean, it's only really in the last few years that people have really dug into maybe the last five or six years dug into his ties to the Kremlin. So he's saying that uh, their hope is that they'll be able to get at least three billion pounds for Chelsea. I would think that Chelsea are worth that. I would be surprised that they went for less than that. That's, it's. I mean, it's an enormous amount of money. It is, but that is not a number that shocks me for a club that. You know, that prestigious in that city. You know, that's just... Well, the rumor mill has been absolutely turning. And today, in our own little hamlet of the world, our own little parish, we heard about some people that would be very familiar to us and familiar to fans of the National Football League in this region. Let's talk of Woody Johnson, who of Johnson & Johnson Company, but also of the New York Jets, being a potential buyer. Now, remember, he spent significant time in England as the ambassador of the United the U.S. ambassador to Great Britain, yeah, under the last administration, and right. so he maybe he found a a, a love for European football. Well, it's it would send like American based Chelsea fans that will send a shiver down their spine. Let's tell the truth. His time as owner of the New York Jets, look, it had a brief period of success when they went to back to back AFC Championship games, but it has other than that for a, certainly the last decade, it's been a disaster. Um, whether or not there's a direct correlation between the two, I don't know. We've always heard, though, that he likes to be involved and to stay close to footballing matters. If that were the case... and I never got the sense, though, that he was making personnel-type decisions with the Jets. I never, I've never felt that way, and I've never really heard that. From... Okay, well, you know more than me, so... I mean, he might... Yeah, I mean, look, he took leave of the team for while he was serving abroad. Yeah, uh, as ambassador. So you know, his brother was overseeing the gesture. Yeah, that, that's time. fair. I don't know exactly what direct impact the Johnsons have had on 
like personnel or football moves or things of that nature. Yeah, I don't. But yeah, the I'm general not. staff that have been appointed to run football operations, apart from that brief period you talked about, didn't work out well. Right. Now, if you were to transplant that to the to the Chelsea model, that would spell disaster. The other thing that Abramovich wants from whoever it is that comes in and, and buys this team, uh, he'll basically want a guarantee of further development to Stamford Bridge or a new stadium altogether. Yeah. And I wonder how many new buyers will be fully on board with that because that's going to be a massive investment in London right like, so I think investment. I think it, Abramovich had basically he wanted to move away from Stamford Bridge and find a, a what he need what he's looking for is like a Jeff Bezos well what he wanted was like a site where he could like more space and they, they talked about there's that kind of famous site down by the river where it's it's an old factory and I'm I'm just completely blanking on the name of it. I'll have a look at it in a second. And they was told he can't do that. He can't move it there. So they were going to renovate Stamford Bridge. I haven't heard anything about that in ages. Mm-hmm. Is that still going to happen now? I mean, that it's what Abramovich, he clearly has some vision for the future and he wants whoever you- comes in to continue his vision of the club. So that's that seems like it's kind of one of the elements of the sale that's going to need to happen. Uh, should be fascinating. I'll tell you what, let's go ahead. Let's take a break. JJ, when we come back, we got some Premier League things to discuss. Manchester Derby over the weekend, um, Everton, and and what happened to them on Monday, some things from MLS. Lots to do still here on Caught Offside. Don't go anywhere. Back now on Caught Offside. Yeah, it was Battersea Power Station was the site Rumoured site for a long time where Chelsea would move. There which, you go. Which you said looks like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. Yeah, it has that vibe. It does. It's a pretty impressive kind of building. But uh, I think it's protected, so you can't go plonking a football stadium in there. Wasn't there some issue with Everton and that? With like a there World were, Heritage site? Yeah, UNESCO World Heritage site. Yeah, which is I That think, didn't matter, right? They fought no, right through that. I, I think it's been taken away. Didn't, uh, didn't I, we report it's gone because Everton are building... One of the yeah, reasons... Yeah, I believe it says that on... Like it's the page. This is no. It like says this is no longer a, a World Heritage site because it has been, I guess, zoned, tam- tampered with in some <laughs> by <way>. Everton, sullied. <laughs> uh, but yeah. we're we're putting this famous football club down there. Which one? Liverpool, Everton, uh, Everton. Oh, taking your badge away from you. Oh, you are a true bully. Kicking them while they're down. JJ, let's uh, we'll get to Everton in a moment. But first, let's go with uh, let's take a quick look at the the Manchester Derby from over the weekend. Um, I feel you, like we, I, I, your face just suddenly <laughs> filled with joy just at the mention of this, this game. Is not you joy. are sick. Uh, well, no. Well, allow me to hand out some plaudits first. I thought City were pretty spectacular. Of course, yeah. And I thought, uh, I, I mean, Pep thought it was one of the great performances uh, that City have put in, and it may well have been. But United were also just. This is. This, we have a title race in England right now, and one of the teams that are trying to stay ahead of the other team are playing Manchester United in a game, and it, United are an irrelevance to this. What land have we... I know this has been coming for about 10 years now, almost 10 years. We're in the ninth year of the post-Sir Alex Ferguson era, but it, it's, it's crazy to me. This was a complete mauling. It was... It, it, if anything, it'll it'll put a, a, a pep in City step from now on. It was a, a confidence booster. I would say the second half was a mauling. There was the the Jaden Sancho goal was 
beautiful. Yeah. I really enjoyed that. And then, you know, City, they responded. Um, and you knew they could, though. Of course. Of course. And it just got, like, people were talking about, I, yeah, it was Scott McTominay. He was doing his post-match. That's who it was. And he talked about losing the ball and never being able to get it back. Yeah. I heard him say that. Can you imagine? And, and that is the most exhausting thing in the world. It just kills the You're team. chasing shadows. And City, it, and City are probably the best team it, in the world it's at it. It's morale destruction to oh. have to deal with something like that. And you're right. This is Manche- This is what Manchester City do. That's one of the ways in which they break your soul add, as you're playing them. Add into that some of the most incompetent defending you've seen. So I want we'll talk about that in a sec because I did want to mention that. Uh, weirdly, JJ, this was actually United's first loss since January 3rd against Wolves. Now, you've talked about their crusade to draw every match, so there's a bunch of those mixed in, but they hadn't lost since the, since New Year's, Yeah, essentially. Um, pretty wild. Um, now, there was a question I posed on the rundown about whether or not this was more about the things that City did well or the things that United did poorly. I think it's, to, to answer my own question, I, I think it's a little bit half and half, yeah. but this is where I wanted to talk about, well, we'll talk about the United half in a sec. I'll get the, the City half out of the way first. Um, earlier in the season, we kind of were talking about Kevin De Bruyne a little bit. When are we going to see that guy again? I mean, uh-oh, someone has awoken. He was he was fantastic in this game. Um, three goal involvements in a Premier League game for him. First time in the last two seasons that he's done that. And you wonder, like, if the sleeping giant within the sleeping giant has now awoken and this is uh, – we're going to see him dominate the remainder of the season in a way that we hadn't really – in a little bit and maybe we'll start to see it again yeah maybe maybe this is the time now he's completely injury free and he just or as much as a professional athlete can be and he just kicks on you talk about sleeping giants though Jack Grealish yeah that too wasn't even guaranteed to be in the starting lineup comes into the side and is obviously slowly but surely being absorbed into the machine and has a brilliant game yeah they're just well we always talk about them as a machine and you know it's funny that that is no more evident than before the match when you're seeing the starting 11s for both. And I forget who it was, Robbie Musto, somebody as they're going through City starting 11 mentioned uh bad news for City coming in actually Ruben Diaz is going to he's got a hamstring problem he's going to be out for 4 to 6 weeks. So was he player of the season last year? I'm trying to remember now. For a lot of people he was the player of the season last year. It barely registered with me that that he that <laughs> arguably the best defender in the league, arguably, is going to miss the next four to six weeks. Doesn't even, like, I, I didn't flinch at hearing that. Like, if that was Virgil van Dijk at Liverpool, a club that I think the world of, uh, for, in terms of how good they are, um, I, you'd hear me say, uh-oh, yeah. that's bad news. Like, Diaz is kind of, he's on that level. It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't. But you can plug guys in and out. There was periods over the last two, three seasons where Bernardo Silva was out of the team. And yeah. you're like, is he gone? Is is he on his way? Look at him. Still producing every time he plays. Riyad Mahrez as well. This is this is a system over players. I know they have great players. There's no denying that. Of course. But this, this doesn't happen by accident. But, but, to, to be this dominant for this long, you have to have both. But the system is... like There, there was a debate on Sky before the game, and I thought... like Ra, um, Dave Jones, rather. I think he's brilliant. You know, I really do think as a compare in our industry, I think he's one of the best. He throws out the question and then he lets Roy Keane, Mika Richards, Graham Sooners just get after it. But I felt as if this was a conversation. Like, can you ask anything else? Because it's so obvious. And he kind of wanted to tease out how far ahead of 
of Manchester United are Manchester City right now as a club. Before the game, they were they were actually very strange one. The Sky commentary crew were allowed walk across the grass, so you got that real pitch view, and it looked amazing. The Etihad, it really did. But just every one of them to a man was like, they are not in the same stratosphere right now in in the way the club is run, the setup, the recruitment, the obviously the manager search, which is going on at United, puts them behind on on coaching, everything, just everything. Stadium. They even talked about the training ground that United need to move and upgrade, and City have already done that. It's the chasm, Andrew. You look at the United side of this, and I'll say this for them. It's unfortunate that this is one of their, at City, you know, any Manchester derby is going to be one of their biggest games of the season. Those, Liverpool, you know, those, those are the ones that they circle more than any others. It is unfortunate for them that they go into this one against City and they don't have their two biggest signings from the from the transfer window. Not having Ronaldo, not having Varane. Ah, You're going to tell me not having Rafael Varane didn't matter in this for them? Um, Let's talk about Harry Maguire. Yeah, I mean, yeah, okay. Var- and look, Varane, it, it, definitely. You, look, the, the, I still think Ronaldo would... All right, fine. You could you And can I honestly think Ronaldo knew he was... I agree, Roy Keane kind of intimated there was something up with that whole injury. Ronaldo, suddenly the hip flexor is up, is, is hurting him, and he flies off to Portugal. He wasn't even in Manchester for the game. Not... There's something there. I think he knew he wasn't going to start, and he was like, right, my hip flexor, which has been hurting me, and I think he gave him trouble in another game before, a few weeks ago. Gone. Edson Cavani as well. This is just what Ralph Radnick had to deal with. Yeah. Trained all week, oh, from what we hear, trained all week, and then, then told Radnick, I can't play. <laughs> like, he's literally... As much as I love him when he does play, he's literally picking the games where he feels he's okay to play in. This is this is a disaster. Yeah. So, but Varane, the centre backs, please continue. Um. So, like, it's funny because I know, you know, you are are often negative on Manchester United, and I, and I take a lot of the shrapnel. So whenever I speak to a United fan, I kind of oh, you guys are. What I but get like, is, what do you want me to say? So, I'm at but my it's wit's funny. end. It's just funny because I find when you talk to a Manchester United fan, oh. and like it's me talking to them, and they say, "Oh, you know, I, you guys, I love your podcast." This this is a conversation you can tell. This actually happened to me the other day. Shout out to Mike, okay, who I was talking to, who is a, a massive Manchester United fan who huh. listens to all of our podcasts, and whenever I talk to him, he always says, "I love your guys' show, but you just you you kill United." And it's funny because I'm like, yeah, you're not wrong. And then the more you well, talk sorry, to him, did you travel back to 1995? But then, to Ma- is Mike listening to this podcast in 1995? I just can't understand it. We're but league, that's the we're thing. league champions. But that's the thing is, as you continue talking to them, the you, conversation changes where I don't say much. And now they're killing their own team. Correct. Right. And they just I don't want to hear it from us. Exactly right. Right. Okay. That's. That is the heart of it. Like, I'm talking to him, and he's saying to me, I can't watch Harry Maguire play anymore. I can't watch this it's, anymore. It's, it's, and I'm trying to talk him down. I'm saying to him, well, all these you look at all these guys who came off that England summer. They're beat. They've been playing tirelessly. Rashford, too. I'm, I'm go- so, like, they know it, but, like, football, sports are tribal. Yeah. Like, I'm a Tottenham fan. When things are going horribly wrong for us— I can commiserate with other Tottenham fans. That's fine. If I hear an Arsenal fan say it, hey, who do, who the bleep do you think you are? Get out of here. But you you never, when 
in fairness to you now, and obviously it's your job on this podcast, you don't sugarcoat it. When they're bad, you'll come out and say it's bad. I get reams. Of, not actually, it's slowed down. There's only a, there's really only well, it's slowed one, down because I think they've stopped listening. No, or they've had it with you. No, there's only one or two United fans who just like they like they they haven't a clue what they're talking about. Like God, <laughs> God love them. They or or else they're like they're watching a dip. Like I said, they're trapped in a in a in an alternative universe. Where where all these performances are amazing. They didn't lose five nil to to Liverpool at Old Trafford. They won five nil. You know their mind has been twisted in this alternate universe because they can't be watching football or they can't know what they're looking at and and look at this stuff and think that it's good or that we're that we're being overly harsh. They're shocking. Like that performance from Harry Maguire, England's Harry Maguire. Where? Yeah, I mean, the where se- does the that second come goal, from? I Lindelof now crazy as well. Oh yeah, yeah. Look, a four-one loss doesn't happen because of one guy. No, that's and, certainly true. And, and Tommy and Fred couldn't protect them. Yeah. So, but like, but it's the simple things. Harry Maguire on the second goal. Why is he letting the ball trickle through his legs? Ins- why is he not insanity. smashing that away and just like he's? This is an experienced defender. You know, did like, he do something? Well, even before the, that, uh, or it might have been after. I can't remember. When you know he he kind of gets wrong sided, I think it was by Phil Foden, nearly take him down in the box for a penalty. Now in, in the end, the foul was called on Foden, which I thought was wrong. If you wanted to say anything, I think it was Lee Dixon who said, "Just don't call anything there. Like yeah. just have it be like a fifty fifty whatever play on." But you know he got wrong wrong sided there. He just he had one of those days in a season of having a lot of those days, and it's. You know, but th- even we- last year, remember he tackled in the Spurs in the demolition. Uh, Mourinho Spurs destroyed them. Mm-hmm. Remember he tackled his own player in the lead up to one yeah. of the the goals. Like M- Maguire is losing his mind in these goal mouth scrambles. But look at Alex Tellez, dreadful. Aaron Wan-Bissaka got an email. Must be less maybe nine months a year ago, where someone does the worst thing you can do when you're trying to pretend like you. Oh, hey, I love your podcast, but you're just plain wrong about Wan-Bissaka. Wan-Bissaka is not a Manchester United footballer. Period. Full stop. End of. And I said that a year ago, and I get, I got, I remember the email because it was like, "You're wrong." Didn't respond. Said this will play out just like this. It's your smugness, oh, I think, that hurts the most. I think it does. You know, the people don't like to think that uh, they don't. They're not rooting for you. No. You used to be on their side. Now, well, it's the United fans. That, it's the United fans. Yeah, they. But whatever. It was just a, just such an inept performance, and like I said, there are. Like, look at Marcus Rashford. Dirt, so, dirt the center forwards. He doesn't yeah. even start. Yeah, I know, and I want to talk about that because there's a story now that's out there that uh, he's falling out of the England picture for qualifying. Well, the for, first for story coming. Well, matches and for uh, the World Cup itself later this year. Yeah, but the first story that came out was, like, within 24 hours was that he's looking for a way out of Old Trafford, which is, listen, buddy, they'd be happy to get rid of you with the form that you're in. And then, like, if you look at England's attacking options, yeah, I can see him. I can, I, I can see a way that he would not make that squad on his current form. Easily. Yep. Easily. So uh, just to go through it quickly, um, He's got five goals and 24 appearances for United. Uh, he started just two of their last 11 games in all competitions. And let's let's talk now about the forward unit, the, the potential attackers that Gareth Southgate has at his disposal for England. So you've got, I'm just going to roll through some of the names here. Kane, Sterling, Grealish, Foden, Saka. Um, then 
there's talk about Jaden Sancho being brought back into the squad, and you could see why he's playing well for United now. Uh, JJ, look at like keep going like Jared Bowen and what he's done at West Ham. Why would he? Why would Rashford get a look over him right now? There's no reason that he would. Uh, and you even hear about uh, Southgate loving Calvert Lewin, mm. and he gave him something different as well. As so, in- like, um, so I was looking at ESPN FC. They mentioned too that Southgate is really what's. Uh, I have the exact quote here that uh, Southgate is an admirer of Crystal Palace forward Eberichi Eze, uh, but the 23 year old is not expected to make the next squad after struggling to regain his form following a lengthy injury layoff. So that's a lot of names. All right, and like so, Rashford he's fallen down the pecking order. There's still time, I suppose, for him to find some form and work his way back into their good graces. But that's a lot of names that he's going to potentially have to to pass. The idea so, of him not playing for United is a weird one as well. Yeah, it really is. Because just just because of his background, really, and the way he came into the club and kind of expected him to be there for his entire career. Yep. Uh, so yeah, not a good uh, not a good weekend for Manchester. United. JJ, we continue now. Speaking of, well, this wasn't a weekend game. This was a Monday game. Um, what a Monday. Everton. Oh, dear. So this was really, you know, I've watched them a good amount this season. Um, this was the first time I, I you know, they've been, they've been lingering in that relegation zone for a while. And I've kind of kept telling myself, eh, like, I see where they're at. They're not playing great, obviously. They're, they're not getting relegated. Too good to go down. This was the first time I watched them and thought, oh, oh dear, this, this could actually happen. They might be that bad. I can't, believe, I can't believe how bad they were. And look, Tottenham have not been Bayern by any stretch this season. Quite the opposite. Um, but they looked like it on Monday. This was, this was particularly horrifying if you're an Everton fan. A, because of... Like I think I don't think I'm the only one that walked away from that game thinking, "Oh no, this could happen." I bet there are Everton fans out there who, while nervous, kept saying to themselves, "Yeah, but look at the clubs below us. This is this sucks that we're a part of this, but I think we'll be all right." I think Monday was a crystallization moment for Everton fans too. That oh, we we got to take this seriously, and we'll talk about the manager because I think it might be a moment where Everton fans are starting to worry that they don't have the right guy. Um, but like this was the combination of. Like a league, what a League One team would do in an FA Cup match I against thinking, the Premier League team. I was thinking the exact same thing. Watching it, you were like, "This is a mismatch in the FA Cup." Right, and I say that because on the one hand, they allowed Tottenham to do whatever they wanted. Spurs looked absolutely brilliant, so you have that half of it. Then on the other hand, the self-inflicted mistakes from Everton. Look at the first two goals. Michael Keane, like, okay, it's a tough spot that Keane is in to try to clear that ball, but you got to do better than that. Yeah. You're supposed to be an England-level defender. That's look, awful. You look at the second goal. Okay, great, good build-up from Tottenham. Although I would, I would argue that all of those, all of those balls in the build-up to that second goal from from Sun, they were all kind of 50-50s that Everton were late to on every single one of them. It opened up space for Sun. He puts a shot on net. I mean, it's got you got to save it. Like he kind of shot it right at Pickford. Yeah. Now I know it's low. Pickford's got to get down. But I've seen Sun, Sun shoot the ball. Way harder, with way more velocity than that. Yeah, these are self-inflicted mistakes, and you're going to play like crap in the in a game like that. You can't do both things. And for some reason, you have the length of a runway behind Michael Keane, uh, behind his back at all times. This, High line, why? throughout. Why? I why? Don't, I don't know. 
I don't Why would know. the manager set them up like that? Why would he have only really one holding midfielder to screen that back four? Why was Nathan Patterson, given his debut against uh, Borehamwood in the FA Cup, taken off, I think, at halftime, told, don't worry, we're going to guide you through this, we want you to be part of things, left out of the squad then for this game. Seamus Coleman is in there, and I love Seamus Coleman. But that back four and, and his role in it, and I know he's club captain, but it's not working out. Something Like, why wouldn't you give Patterson a go? Or why wouldn't you even have him there to, to have the option to make a change? Yeah, I, I, I don't get any I of mean, it. I mean, I look at like, so, okay, the first half was a disaster. Maybe Everton, maybe we'll come out with some fire. A minute in. And you look at that ball to, to Sergio Reguilón and like... As it's played to him, I'm like, okay, well, any someone's going to get a foot. I'm like any number of t- like, is it going to be Kane? Oh no, it's a little behind. Oh, there's Reggion. Where is anyone for Everton? Anyone? And Reggion, he takes it first time, smashes it home from three feet out. Pickford's got no chance. It's just like that's how the second half started after the first after that first half. Look this at all, was look, this was frightening. Look at all the time, and it's a brilliant ball, and he had a brilliant game, and the and the ball for Kane's goal in the first half was excellent from Matt Doherty. The ball for his second, the volley. By the way, we should talk, Kane, that's a brilliant finish. Yeah, it's just I was going to get the Everton stuff out of the way first uh, before we talked right, about okay. the Tottenham stuff. Well, okay, well, I'll hold off then. But the ball from, from Doherty is, how much time has he got to clip that ball to the back post? Yeah. Like, Doherty looked like, I mean, someone was calling him, someone did a mock-up of his face and Cafu. <laughs> I saw another one, I think, of his a mock-up of his face on Maradona's body. Oh, <laughs> People were really having fun with Matt Doherty's performance in this one. No, I'm not saying he's not playing well right now because he is he playing is. well. He that, is. that is fair to say. But by the same token, Everton made him or allowed him to do a lot of things there yesterday. Tottenham were able to do anything they wanted in this game. They really were. Before we get to the Tottenham side of things, um, this is from Scott Murray in The Guardian today for the Fiver. And this is about Lampard, and this is where you get worried. Mm. Those early Goodison parties against Leeds and Brentford in the Cup suddenly look less the start of the honeymoon, more a dead cat bounce. That may explain why Lampard went on to blame individual errors over any perceived tactical incompetence. This is a quote from Lampard. The first 15 minutes looked like I wanted it to. His, he began, his voice barely audible above the sound of running water and freshly soaped hands. But the crucial part of Tottenham's game as a counter-attacking team is to find space behind you and the players were aware of that and they didn't deal with it. Lampard went on to bemoan issues that were there before me and don't take care of themselves overnight. Which is fair enough until you consider he's had 37 overnights now to address at least one thing, something, anything, and has only another six to work out a plan for the visit of Wolves that doesn't involve throwing his players under the bus in the post-match presser. When you listen to him, it was worrying this was not a man who had answers. This is a man who was trying to separate the tactics he set out, the result, and himself. He wanted not like that. <laughs> Washing his hands, absolutely. I mean, this is a guy who came up playing for Mourinho. He learned from the best. Wow. It reminded me of the 3-0 against Arsenal last season before he got sacked, which was when he really lost the dressing room, where he was asked, what about the performance tonight? And he goes, you'd have to ask the players about that. Not how it works, Frank. No, although I am, I am sometimes for player accountability. You know that I am yeah. I'm a player's guy for better and worse. Sure. Uh, so he look, he's not wrong. I got, but he knew the he, issue. He knew there were issues coming into the club. Yeah, 
you know, no, no. you have to do something. It's, it's again, if you're Everton and you're 17th, you're one point up on current relegation candidate Burnley. Like a club like Everton doesn't find themselves in a position like that by accident. It means everything is broken. You know, we did it in the club on them not so long ago. It was made clear then. It's all it's it's a mess from manager all the way through the squad, the way the squad was compiled, the ins and outs of players who have come and gone over the last few years. It's all coming home to roost now. And I think it's this is this is a wake up call for them that they're just gonna pray, okay, let's just see this out. Let's just survive this year. Anything How else How bad it, can Burnley be? Now they were bad at the weekend in ten, for ten minutes against well, not for longer. Chelsea played quite well in the second half. But for ten minutes they Burnley let them in and gave away whatever hope they had of salvaging a point. So a lot of Everton's hope is going to be resting on, one, how bad Burnley can be, and two, the perception that they have this energy at Goodison Park that they've seen under Lampard, we saw against Manchester City, we saw in the cup games. Can they harness that? I, I These things are flimsy to me, and I, I'm not sure how much I like putting my uh, my money on that. No, it's it's not good. It's uh, it's not good. Quickly on the Tottenham side, yeah, I wanted to mention the Kane volley. How many players in in the world even try to do that from that angle? Like you said, great ball, but I didn't expect that. That was great. On the it was absolutely great. And on Sky, he got to watch it back. Oh, that's and you cool. can see him beaming. I mean, I've seen a lot of his goals. I've seen all. I've seen all of them. I think it's top five. I think that I think he scored another one like that. Maybe was it in the Champions League or the Premier League? I mean, the ones you remember, he had the, the one against Arsenal from the difficult angle. He scores it and then throws his mask off. Um, I think it was or was that the header? I can't remember now. Uh, he had he's had had one against Leicester from an absurd angle. I think that was in Wembley. Hmm. Uh, but in terms of like a volley oh, like that, beautiful. that was that was really that was really something. Uh, the only thing I wanted to mention with Tottenham because we've talked about this in past weeks, is this... I'm, I'm really living the Conte experience, JJ. This man <laughs> is out of his mind. I don't know how his friends and family kind of deal with this personality. Maybe it's only soccer that brings it out in him. But, like, we're only a few weeks removed after the Wolves match. What was it he said? It would be a miracle for us to finish top four, something like that. Or top four is not a possibility with this team. You know, now... But he was talking about now I understand... The, you know the ambitions of this club, or you know all those all those kind of dark mutterings <laughs> of discontent. Right now, I see him saying that like we're in this. Like it's just like they, I don't know. It's just it's a weird tone for a manager to set to just be this wildly erratic with his emotions. Uh, but it's working for him. He's one of the most successful managers out there. So I I guess let's all just get on board and and live this this roller coaster right along with him. I just wonder. He said this also. He said, you know, I don't like to speak about ambition and reaching a place in the Champions League because I like to play to win the league and win trophies. But in this situation, this could be our Champions League, our Premier League title, if we are able to reach fourth place. That is a man. Fourth place is a trophy. Those are the words of a man who understands the Tottenham mindset. (laughs) In the two weeks since he had that meltdown in the rain at Burnley, Tottenham has seeped into his soul. He understands the empty trophy cabinet. He understands Spursiness. He understands fourth place, holding up the league table as a trophy. This is a man who is now ready to manage Spurs. <laughs> I'll say this. As a fan, and I know Tottenham fans, 
it will that will be celebrated like a trophy should they do it should they make it should uh, they do it definitely uh, finally um i mentioned kane quickly the uh the wingbacks for tottenham like you said you you covered matt doherty but i, I want two assists in a premier league game for him for the first time in his career mm. he's had a bit of a renaissance of late and then unfortunately ryan sessignon was forced off uh he came off at halftime and then region came on and promptly scored a goal but sessignon was starting to have that moment as well you know he set up the first goal and he's been very good since he's been given this free reign forgotten he was at spurs to be honest yeah. with you and and him too him and darty have kind of risen together might be coaching andrew could, there might be cert- something to it. There, that is certainly possible. A few other uh, Premier League things, JJ, that we want to talk about. Jesse Marsh, um, that first win will have to wait a little bit longer. Loses his first match for Leeds um, against Leicester City, 1-0. Very good performance by Leeds, uh, to the point where, I don't want to say they were robbed, they lost 1-0, they should have won the game. They should have scored long before Leicester did. They were the dominant team in this game. They already looked better defensively. Jesse Marsh has come in and had an immediate impact. Now, unfortunately, that impact does not result in three points or a point, but he has made an impact. He's also made an impact on the mind of Gabby Agbondahor, who was on TalkSport. Now, what is this about before we play it? Oh, Andrew, this is about something that Jesse Marsh did. He got his team straight after the game, after the performance, over to the fans, the away fans, clapped the away fans, and then got them into a huddle. A normal thing that I thought was... Pretty normal. It didn't stand out to me. He gave them a kind of a conversation in a huddle. And for some people, this was, for some PFMs, proper football <laughs> men, it's unacceptable. You, you know, let's uh, listen to Gabby. This, this is him on Talk Sport. I'm not sure about that huddle as well in the middle of the pitch. Honestly, that me as well. <laughs> it, was like, it was like watching like a, a, a college basketball huddle in the middle of the court. Like, what? I know he doesn't want to be. Like, Ted but, Lasso. yeah, he doesn't want to be, but like, I was even the players were looking at him and, and they were like, what, what, What's he doing? Do that in the changing yeah. room, get in the change room and tell them, You know what, that was better today. Well done. I'm lucky to get something from the game. Doing it in the middle of the pitch was so cringe. And honestly, like, the players would have been thinking exactly the same. This, the, I didn't see that from the players. The players looked disappointed they'd lost the game. He got them together. It's also a moment where this is a manager who's come in after a transformative manager, a messianic figure, and he just wants to let the crowd know that they're united and also probably to kind of try and capture the positivity from what they did in the game, which was better. They looked more potent. They looked like they were going to score. They didn't, but they should have, and they should have won that game. That's all Marsh was doing. By the way, we've seen um, famously... Different thing. Uh, Liverpool when they bet Man City in the title running in thirteen fourteen, the Gerard got everyone in for the huddle. Unfortunately, he uttered the words, "This does not slip. This does not slip." Uh-huh. Um, and that was a very emotional moment at Anfield. I've seen way worse from what we would consider proper football men. I'm wondering, do you remember Phil Brown at Hull? I remember him. Do you remember what he did at halftime at the Etihad? Hull were getting beaten. I can't remember, was it 3 or 4-0 at halftime? And he kept the players out on the field. That's right, yes. In a circle. Yes. And wagged the finger, made a big show, humili- like an attempt at humiliating them for their first half performance. Now that, Jesse Marsh did not do that. There is no reason to do that. And I remember Jimmy Bullard, who was at the club at the time, 
afterwards it was a goal celebration so he scored a goal and all the players ran around in a circle and he just <laughs> wagged his finger at them um this is this is pfm nonsense and and english football just being weird about this just strange it's, it's my sensitive american brain the knives are going to be out for him people are going to be looking at every every this stuff i mean you i watched it took all I watched, one game for ted lasso's name to be invoked uh, Bloody Ted Lasso! I I, <laughs> I watched inside uh, inside training Leeds United's video where they do the training sessions. Uh-huh. I, I I'm addicted to those videos. Any club, I'll watch any of them. And uh, I I I looked at Marsh's sessions and you know he's not doing anything weird. Like he's not going around handing them you know plates of apple pie and you know telling them about the New Deal. <laughs> that that like, is what we do. <laughs> Or having a cookout, you know, wearing jean shorts, like all, like what do they, what do they honestly think a coach like him is going to do? That's going to be so awfully American. It the will new just deal. I, I that's what you think. It popped into my head. I was trying to think of great American achievements. How did you? How did you find out, JJ? All of us on our first day of work were brought in. Welcome, apple Andrew, pie. Welcome to ESPN. Uh, present your apple pie oh, here, everyone. Here, okay. Now uh, your presentation on the new deal. Well, oh, very good. All right. Uh, welcome to the family. Sorry, I was going to say the films of Will Smith or something like that, but it's just I don't understand what they think is going to happen here. You, you know, but I, I, I really don't think the backlash will be as an American centric if it comes. Hopefully, it doesn't come. I, I, do, love, I don't. I love so much. I've never really gotten this from you. This is new, new territory in our friendship. I love. Hearing the like the outside the non-American stereotypes of what they of what America what is like so so painfully American, and so now yours is apple pie, which I think most people would say the New Deal and Will Smith movies. I would love to compile this here, please at CO Soccer Pod. Any non-Americans listening to this, give us your American stereotypes. I think it, they're awesome. Uh, I don't of, know why I said the New Deal. That's hey, just that's because I have a weird. You're, you mind. love history. Yeah, it is a uniquely American moment. I think it's great. I want I want more more people. Um, one other one, JJ Arsenal. We mentioned it before. We'll talk more about them, I'm sure, on Friday with Ian Wright. But they pick up an important three points. I know it's Watford, uh, but like these games, like as other teams are losing. You know, as we've seen in this battle for top four, we've seen Tottenham lose to to Burnley. You know, so. Like, you can't take anything for granted at this stage in the season. No, you can't. And Arsenal can't take anything for granted right now But they, because they have this amazing chance with three games in hand on Manchester United and West Ham to just cement this and get this done and make a, an unassailable lead. They've got Leicester at home, Liverpool at home, Villa away, Crystal Palace away, Brighton at home in their next few games. And those, I mean, the next three games are obviously the ones they want to focus on. But this, if they blow this, that's that straight away my mind goes to that. This is a real opportunity to put a gap between themselves and United and West Ham and get it done. Get the, four. The fact that you in. use that word, blow this, like uh, that. So you agree with the sentiment that this is this is clearly established this is theirs to lose i think it's such an advantage right now I, I, the other teams are floundering so who is the main threat Let, let's go through this quickly so arsenal right now they're fourth 48 points they've played 25 games 
Uh, fifth is United, 47 points, but they've played three more games than Arsenal. Yeah. So that's trouble. Then it's West Ham, 45 points, uh, also 28 games. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like they can catch them. And then Tottenham, 45 points, so three back of Arsenal, but only 26 games played. To look at that, you would say, for however weird this has Tottenham all been for Tottenham, it's probably, if I were ranking who's Arsenal's greatest threat, it probably goes Tottenham, United, West Ham, I would say. Yeah, I think so. And I, I think West Ham have a real problem in, in finding the net. And the thing that we said at the start of the season, the thing that they've done really well so far is that they're in this position with only really one out-and-out centre-forward. Mm-hmm. And now it's probably he is not firing as much as they'd like at the at the rate that they need him to, and it's probably going to catch up with them. And I think they they are the most likely to fade. I say that I really have no faith in United either. So it's but it's still just as we look at it right now, Tottenham and United for that challenging spot. The question is just whether or not. Like I agree, this is now Arsenal's to lose because they a are in this. They're, they're in, only they're five the points seat. off Chelsea. Yeah, I guess. I suppose that's true too. Um, but I feel like with Arsenal, there's this there's this sense of it getting better as the season has progressed. Definitely, which, which I think is what makes them. Well, they had a historically bad start, right? Um, but I think that's what makes them dangerous. Like there's this, there's this chemistry that is developing between Odegaard and Saka that you see um, that you know, they they're starting to become that dangerous team in attack that. You know they, that they used to be, and even without Obama Yang, it's you know it it's clicking. It's found a new gear, um, and so yeah, they. I think that they're we're right. Just, we're just favorites. piling on the pressure right now, but I think. No, they're but favorites. I'm not saying anything that I don't believe. No, and and when they have their the first eleven out and that kind of triumvirate, Martinelli, Odegaard, and Saka. I, that is a team, or that is an attack that that you you have to like. And if they can keep those guys fit until the end of the season, why not? Especially with this advantage of three games. Yeah. Uh, that's the Premier League. JJ, let's bring it back now. Stateside, home of Apple Pie, New Deals, and Will Smith movies. Uh, MLS, JJ, what a scene. we got to start with Charlotte. Uh, just unbelievable scenes there. 74,479 in attendance. It's the largest MLS uh You look like you're about to say something. No, go on. Uh-oh, largest MLS crowd. Um, I hate that they didn't score. I really wanted to hear those Charlotte lungs mm. uh, with a crowd that size. Um, you know, you see that, and it's just this incredible outpouring of excitement yes. from that city for this team. And, uh, but I think what's even more important than the seventy-four thousand number, um, I think it's the the more than twenty-three thousand season tickets that have sold because there, that's where you start to get the sense of sustainability. That this may not necessarily be from a from a fan interest standpoint. This may not necessarily be just a oh, let's go be a part of something new and different. It's the first soccer game for right. Charlotte. Let's get let's you know we're caught up in the excitement. You, you see that kind of number for season tickets, and that tells you oh, there's there's something really here that that craves this that that really wants to build this into something special. That's what I like to see. Yeah, and it's surprising that they have 23,000 season tickets sold when you consider the prices, which was the main talking point in the preseason outside of their scrambling to get a squad together was season tickets. The 18 reported that the cheapest option for season tickets starts at $486 for the supporter section, which mm. is general admission. After that, the prices skyrocket to $630 before 
a hefty personal seat license cost, meaning you'll have to pay 20 bucks shy of $1,000 for the cheapest non-general admission seat. Those are Premier League. Those are more Premier League. Ex- more expensive than Premier League yeah. prices. Yeah, that is equal parts incredible and horrible. It's it's incredible in that, like for for soccer fans in this country to see tickets to an MLS game going for that, it, it's kind of this feeling of like, oh, we've arrived. We're mm. like the other sports, but it's horrible in that. No, 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 it cannot cost that. And to watch, and you add say what twenty three thousand season ticket holders in a 75,000 seater stadium and then you're going to add if they're bad maybe 10,000 more There's going, it's going to be cavernous for a while I think uh, yeah, especially in, in when an NFL stadium when they're bad it's going to be you know it's going to be pretty empty and by the way they might be it, this might be a rough go for them in the early goings um, now we'll you know we'll see as they get guys back uh, they're their designated player, Carol Swiderski, missed the first game because of a visa issue. He, he did play in the home opener, but like Anton Wolks isn't fit yet. Um, MLSsoccer.com reported that they likely have another DP on the way, Camille Joswiak, a winger from Derby County. Um, I don't know that that's done yet, but they could have another designated player signing coming in, so that would be helpful. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, this it could be it could be tough goings to start out for them. Um, I did want to mention one other thing from this game, the coolest part of this game that had nothing to do with the the crowd um, or anything that happened on the field. Um, The coolest moment of this from this entire weekend, I would say, um, JJ, I'm reading from MLS's Twitter account. They posted a video of a jersey exchange, um, but not just any jersey exchange. They write, in 2010, LA Galaxy Sasha Kleschen visited Children's Hospital Los Angeles and gave a jersey to a young patient battling liver cancer. That patient was Chris Heggert, who now plays as a rookie for Charlotte FC. It's amazing. And you see the pictures of when Sasha Kleschen met this, I think, then eight-year-old who was dealing, was battling with this. No hair, you know, going, really going through it, the the worst parts of it. And Sasha Kleschen and his wife were there um, to hang out with them. And now that eight-year-old kid is an MLS player that is playing against the guy who came to visit him that day. Here was... Uh, question after the match talking about that meeting as far as the moment with Chris yeah the whole thing is crazy like you you visit kids in the hospital sometimes and then you you never hear from them again or sometimes you hear the worst and 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 so for him it had been so long that when I saw his mom in the lobby yesterday and she approached me it was just so crazy that then she told me he was playing for Charlotte and I was like, oh, in the academy? And she was like, no, the first team. And I was like, man, this is crazy. Like he he beat it and, and, and he kept pushing himself and, and ended up having a great college career and, and now turning pro at a young age. It was fun to watch him play tonight. I'd love if, sorry to be funny about this, I'd love if Kleshton finished by saying, I thought when he two-footed me down the sideline that that was a bit much. <laughs> But what an amazing story. Incredible. It really is. What are the odds? Right. Not good. Not good odds that that this would happen, that their careers would then intersect in this way, surviving cancer. It's storybook stuff. It's amazing. It really is. Uh, And it was was nice to see them swap jerseys on the field too. Special. One of those where you're like, that's that's good. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, A couple other MLS things quickly to get to. JJ, I'd say no one has looked better through two games than Austin FC. And by the way, I don't mean this year. I mean ever. It's the record. They've scored 10 goals in two games. No one's ever done that. I'm going to 
praise them first, and then I'm going to make the comparison that the that Austin may be playing the role of Tottenham, and Inter Miami may be playing the role of Everton in this game. <laughs> okay. Um, Sebastian Juricy was outstanding. Yeah. Again, looks a real player, and Diego Fagundes. I'm, I'm not saying he 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 had a dip or he went off the map, but for me, he, he did a little bit, and I always think of him as a Revs player but he seems to be reinvigorated uh, playing for Austin and he makes that team tick and they looked very, very good. There's a flip side to this mm, coin. Okay. Inter-Miami were just... I I saw things no man should ever see. <laughs> All right, relax. They were awful, like dreadful. And one thing you should never see is Breck Shea at left back. Left back on the bus. That's where I would have left. In fairness to him, left back, he just looked at sea. Wasn't he a winger? Wasn't that it? He's played both, has he not? Yeah, maybe. Not good. Just not good. And they were authors of their own downfall in so many of those those moments in this game. And then afterwards, Taylor Twelman spoke to Phil Neville, the manager, and, you know... Neville is talking about this team, you know, we're still learning that you're going to have those days from this group. You know, Taylor didn't go in very hard on him. I mean, it's straight after the game. I can understand why he wouldn't, but... It was was a horrifying performance. A performance that I think may have prompted David Beckham to start Googling how to sack your friends. (laughs) They were that bad. They looked clueless. Um, Certainly would... uh, would you have noticed Higuain was on the field? Not really. Did you see, speaking of him, um, Fabian uh, Ebers has a, a podcast that he hosts with Julian Gressel, the Z, Z podcast. I've heard of it. I haven't listened to it. I mean, did you see? I'm trying to pull it up now because as you bring up Higuain, I should have had this beforehand. Um, <laughs> did you see what he said about, because Bears is now on Chicago Fire, of course, and they played um, Inter-Miami the week before, uh, oh. his comments about Iguain were pretty shocking. Really? To me. Yeah. He, um, yeah, here's what he said. <laughs> it starts with this. F that guy, man. He continues to go on from there. This guy is so pathetic. His whole body language is terrible. I wouldn't want to be a teammate of his. F that guy. I don't want any part of it. In the first game already, he's so negative, so destructive, so negative towards your own teammates who you're supposed to try to help. You're supposed to lift them up, supposed to make them better as a leader, as a DP. And I think it's going to be a long season for Miami and Iguain as well if that continues. Every time there's a missed pass, he's just rolling his eyes and absolutely shockingly negative. Ooh, scathing. And then Gressel kind of echoed that. He chimed in afterwards and said that feeling of having your leader your captain have that type of body language and reaction towards young teammates guys that haven't played a ton of minutes in MLS uh, because of the budget problems and that stuff that's definitely a red flag for me as well I don't like to lead that way and I don't think a good captain leads that way I mean for current players like you know analysts say stuff um, but for current players to say that about another player wow that's unbelievable. Pretty scathing. It's unbelievable to hear. You don't really hear pros coming out and talking like that. Uh, no. While players are still playing, at least. That, that strongly. That's it's remarkable. I think 
I think I remember Craig Bellamy in a post-match talking about John Terry in very disparaging terms, but that was around the whole controversy with him and Wayne Bridge. Nah. But generally, you don't hear it. Yeah, that's something. Uh, finally, one more from me, JJ. All hail Bruce Arena, MLS's Steady. all-time winningest manager. With New England's 1-0 win over FC Dallas over the weekend, Arena passed Siggy Schmidt for the most regular season wins in MLS history. Uh, his 276 combined regular season and postseason wins are more than any other coach. Also the winningest coach in the history of the MLS Cup playoffs and the U.S. Men's National Team, four supporter shields, five MLS Cups, everyone together now. Greatest manager in U.S. soccer history. Oh, you, you're rattling cages here. All right, if people want to hide from the truth, that's up to them. This is not a road we should go down with our listeners. We've been down this road before. It wasn't a good road. There was a lot of... Dead bodies. And yeah, because we had him on the podcast. People w- f- thought that that was an unforgivable sin. This was shortly after. We had him a year after. Right. He wrote a book. And like, uh, I don't know, uh, were we not hard enough on him? It, it's it's interesting. I was thinking about that, JJ. So we had him on the, the show, Bruce Arena, and we talked about what happened with the U.S. Yes. not qualifying. And if a guy is like admitting it, that he did things wrong, if he's like kind of apologizing, what? Okay, so now where do we go? I know, but do, do we need to pause the podcast, drive to his home, and beat him? But also, there's there's a consideration for us too that we've invited someone on their show. That's a good faith invitation to discuss things. It's not. A, it cannot become a war of words. It shouldn't really. But he was admitting the things that we were saying. Right. Like he, he he wasn't he, fighting. But it wasn't enough. It just wasn't enough. We should have said, okay, now, Bruce, if you can, pull out a knife from your kitchen drawer and cut yourself, please. We need blood. Short of a crucifixion, there would have been no... People weren't happy. Yeah. Like, they well, really... They wanted blood, and it was raw. Plus, <laughs> plus, he was promoting his book. All right, what's wrong with that? Oh, no, you're not allowed to write a book off the back of this. That's what we were told. I enjoyed the interview, but... Yeah, I'd have him on I th- again. I think other people probably enjoyed it, but they... They had to hit at the time. It was required. We are only just getting some people back now. Maybe this is their return, and now they're they're sitting through this. You're going to kill them with and that. And they're gone. Yeah. They just left again. One other thing before we get oh. out to MLS, um, the Red Bulls hammering Toronto. We're talking about statement victories. Mm-hmm. That was a... That, that was a... It was a real beatdown. Ah, can you have a statement victory in the second week? Probably not. And probably not in this league. But they're looking for the green shoots of hope out in New Jersey. Where they play. And sure. they needed something, and they needed to start well, and they have. Let's uh, let's finish up now with a mailbag, JJ. Yes, we got uh, cutoffsidepod at gmail.com, as I mentioned before, cutoffsideespn. Uh, that's where you can reach us. And at Seagull Soccer Pod on Twitter, Carl in Wyoming starts us off. Oh, here we go. In light of the 2026 World Cup, how will FIFA view the violent scenes Akiriteros versus Atlas at the weekend. Hmm. That was... So I, I kind of made the mistake. I, I, I read what happened, and kind of foolishly, I I kind of went deep on it and just kind of went well, on the Twitter videos and saw videos, and it's, it's kind of the stuff you wish you had never seen. Um, I, I kind of can't believe some of... What I saw. I saw a guy being dragged from the stands by rival supporters and kicked on the ground and kicked in the head and kicked in the abdomen and just brutalized. You're seeing unconscious bodies being beaten 
lifeless bodies being beaten. I mean, it's, I don't know, it's, it's the kind of stuff that almost, not to be overly dramatic, it's the kind of stuff that kind of makes you like question elements of humanity. Sadly, there's a lot of that going on right now. Now, uh, Cesar Hernandez was uh, reporting for ESPN, and he said of the 26 people injured, 19 have been released from the hospital, while two remain hospitalized. No deaths have been officially reported. Which is which flies in the face of what was being reported that night. Right. Which there, is why it's always important not to be first, but to be right. Correct. And there was a lot of videos, there was a lot of tweets, but there wasn't a lot of good verified reporting. And worse for us, unfortunately, there wasn't a lot of good English-speaking reporting that we could get a clear picture of what was happening. Um, but it was... I mean, Liga Mekis have acted. They acted today. Kieratero uh, will play home matches with no fans for one year and ban the Barras supporters groups for three years as part of its punishment following scenes of violence at a soccer game last weekend that left 26 people injured. The punishments following clashes between fans during Kieratero's match against visiting Atlas on Saturday were announced on Tuesday by Mexico Football Federation President Juan de Luisa and Liga Emeki's president, Mikel Ariola. Now, Katera's ownership group will also be banned from league-related activities for five years and the club will be returned to the previous owner's group, which was Grupo Caliente, wow. which owns fellow Liga Emeki's club, Tijuana. Quiratero, uh, their current ownership will also be fined 1.5 million pesos. Grupo Caliente will be tasked with selling Quiretero by the end of this year, and if unable to do so, it will go under the ownership of Liga Mekis. That's that's insane. unbelievable. That's a really weird way of doing things. I mean, uh, yeah. I didn't know. First of all, you can own two clubs. An ownership group can own two clubs hmm. in Liga Mekis. That wouldn't be allowed anywhere no, else. No. Um, well, I say anywhere else. It wouldn't be allowed in Europe. Yeah. This was this was all. Pretty shocking, JJ. Th- I feel bad bringing this up now. Uh, you know, right near the end of this podcast, this could almost be a podcast unto itself. But I'm curious how you would answer this question. So during the week after this happened, I was asked by someone who does not like soccer, not a fan of the sport, detests it. I would say, and I don't know if the question was meant to be a- a- an honest one or an antagonistic one. But I was essentially asked, "What is it about this sport that?" causes this kind of behavior okay that that is such a difficult question for me to answer i don't know the history of kieratero and atlas and their supporters and that animosity i can't speak to that right but i was listening to a conversation with the uh the, the sunday times in england did an investigation into leicester and Nottingham Forest. We we remember the fan, the Leicester fan, ran on the pitch at the last FA Cup game and attacked celebrating Nottingham Forest supporters. Mm-hmm. And there was a conversation about, well, why is this beginning to rear its ugly head in England again? And they talked about younger fans becoming under the influence of older fans who used to be in the old hooligan system of firms and rivalries. And also they talked about the use of cocaine huh. and alcohol and how that has driven this kind of new frenzied supporter that will go on a field in this day and age with the consequences for doing that and attack uh, players. Why this is a thing is, I mean, it seems like a multifaceted answer. And And I'm sure different 
parts of the world, different clubs within different parts of the world will, will have their own unique answers to that question. Yeah. I, First of all, by the way, I don't know necessarily, like the, the way the question was posed made it sound like it's a soccer problem. Now, because soccer is so prevalent around the world, there's just more of soccer. You know, like, so if if bad fan behavior is going to happen, just the percentages tell you it's more likely to occur at a soccer match as opposed to a, a fo- an American football game or, you know, baseball or something like that. There's just a lot more of soccer and it's everywhere. So and, um, the odds are, are in the favor of something like it. Hap- if it's going to happen at a sporting event, it'll happen at, at that sporting event. Right. And human beings are violent. We are... A- we are violent. Simple mm-hmm. as that. Uh, and most of us ha- can, the vast majority can contain and can channel it. And sometimes it gets channeled into these sporting arenas where you're allowed to, like, even if you're not a violent soccer fan, at a game, you're allowed to say and shout and do things that otherwise you cannot do on the street or even in... No, you'd be an outcast of society. Right. So there's there's that. There's also the communal element, the follow the leader element. There's... I mean, but I can't even give you one answer for it. What yeah. I would recommend is that you read Among the Ultras by our friend uh, James Montagu, which is a book we talked about. And loads of you actually... Go back and find... We had him on the podcast. We had him on the podcast, I think it was in 2020 or 2021. It was definitely during yeah. somewhat early phases of the pandemic. Yeah. I remember we were still figuring out, do we need mics? Can we just record with our, our earbuds? <laughs> yeah. And um, and I've read his book cover to cover, and it's an amazing book, and it looks into the motivations for like the ultra culture, and which is also a, can also be not always, but can also be a violent culture, mm-hmm. and organized firms in football. There is no one reason behind this this violence. It's yeah. it's so hard to pin it down, um, but I think also football has always been the people's game in a way, and has never been sanitized fully in the way that other sports have around the world. That Santa, that process is kind of now happening in many parts. Yes, I would think globally. so. Yeah, for the most part. But there, is, like I said, there is some kind of a, a rise going on in in England of this kind of this behavior mm-hmm. that we kind of. thought. I mean, it was on full display at Wembley for the Euro final. Exactly, and um, yeah, and you know, guys fighting outside bars before Nottingham Forest versus Leicester in the FA Cup. It's it's just not what we're used to seeing, but it is happening up and down the Football League. Hmm. Uh, anything else, JJ? Um, one more thing, Andrew. Uh, Steve on Instagram. Why is Carly Lloyd torching her former teammates right now <laughs> on Hope Solo and Alexi Lalas' podcasts? That is a, that's a great question. She's been on a tour de force of basically saying how bad the culture was in her last few years. Basically, anything after 2015. Um, well, I have her quotes here from uh, the Hope Solo Speaks podcast, where she was on with Hope Solo, who we now come to kind of find out that those two are, were really close. Okay. Uh, Carly Lloyd says, even within our squad, the culture has changed. It was really tough and challenging to be playing these last seven years. To be quite honest, I hated it. It wasn't fun going in. It was only for love of the game, really, for me. I wanted to win and I wanted to help the team, but the culture within the team was the worst I've ever seen. I'm hoping that the future is bright and some things change. Yeah. That is, that's. I mean, without giving details of exactly what she's referring to, that is as scathing as, as it gets. Now, that is also absolutely annoyingly vague. She goes into a tiny bit more detail with Alexi. 
She said, winning a World Cup obviously put us on a really big, big stage and endorsements started coming and the spotlight started coming and I just saw a shift in people's mindsets. It became more about what can I do to build my brand off the field? What can I do to get an endorsement, an endorsement deal and less about what we have to do when we step in between those lines? Now, on Defector... Um, Patrick Red, uh, sorry, Patrick Redford, yes, wrote a piece on Defector, and he responded to that endorsement charge by saying, "This is not only a hypocritical line for the Nike, Volkswagen, NGM Insurance Group, CBD Medic, Agile Therapeutics, Tonal Flexit Fitness, and Symbiote spokeswoman to take. Oh no! It's also not supported by the results. The U.S. Uh, women's national team has uh, lost exactly two games since that World Cup victory." Though the bronze medal in Tokyo was well below expectations, it wasn't a program-shaking disaster, as evidenced by the new-look team's good showings of late. And anyway, if there was a flaw to that Olympic team, it was a misplaced faith in players of Lloyd's generation. Now, this could be someone who has left, exited the tent, and is now looking back in with a degree of bitterness. Her last few years, Andrew, was she relevant? Was she an important... Was she an important she part was, of the team? She was certainly relevant. Did she... Would they have won that World Cup in 2019 without her? Could they have won that World Cup in 20... I mean, that team was so ridiculously good. I w- yes, they probably could have, but that would be my answer to almost any name with maybe only like a couple exceptions that, that you would throw at me. You know, there was almost like a, a Man City element of that, like a, a machine. Um, so, without knowing... You know what or who she's referring to? Look, I, I look at that group, this this kind of generation of of U.S. women's soccer players, and look what we've seen is these are really strong people. Yes, there's a lot of strong personalities in that room. They have taken on U.S. soccer. They have waged this war, which, by the way, Hope Solo was on the front lines of. She was one of the original um, members of the team in the in the lawsuit against U.S. soccer. You know these these are players that have not been shy in speaking out on political issues over the last few years. Uh, it's a really, really, almost unusually strong group. Does it surprise me that that would rub someone the wrong way? Not necessarily. That's probably true in any walk of life, in any locker room, if you go into, if it happens to be a really strong locker room with with A-type personalities that are opinionated on a lot of things, yeah, you, some people are going to be, some people won't like it. Not everyone is going to gel. I think that's maybe what you had here. I mean, I don't. Know. I wonder if she had more of a play, of a playing role in 2019. If she was more a part of that that starting eleven, which she wasn't a part of, would she be different? Yeah, I don't know. Which, is she I looking back with the, that kind of bitterness still? I, I certainly don't know. She would probably deny that and say that that has nothing that has nothing to do with it. That this is about you know what goes on behind the scenes, off the field, and not on it. Because on the field, they've been pretty successful, uh, with the exception of that Olympic performance. So, I don't know, but it was, I would say it was disappointing to hear it, not necessarily shocking to hear it. Um, I wonder if we'll hear more. Yeah, I wonder if there will be a riposte from some of her former teammates. Yeah, I, but there, but that would be interesting in and of itself, because she doesn't call anyone out specifically. No, but so we, if, but, if I mean, that happens, mean the brand building. Who were, who were the players that built brands? Well, I mean, Rapino, Morgan... Yeah, and those, what, are the, those what, are the faces what, of this generation. Wasn't there a bunch of them actually got together and created their own brand? I'm pretty sure there was. 
And, and by the way, they all they're all they're sponsored out the every one of them is sponsored. They're covered in sponsorships. <laughs> Look, every one of them. I, I Carly Lloyd, VW. You know, just among the many ones. And fair play to them. They've they had to make money on while while the time is right. You know, when you're at the top of your game, that's what professional athletes do. Maybe we need like a Jeff Perlman book on this. No, what we need. You to... know, when he sinks his teeth into something. We... Oh, he's amazing. Yeah. But he'll have. Have, like... you, have you been watching Winning Time, by the oh, way, on HBO? Oh, God. I First lo- episode was spectacular. Love it. Absolutely. Based love on it. his book, Showtime. John C. Riley, amazing. Yeah. Um, but, but back to Carrie Lloyd, we need to have her in studio. She's in the tri state area. She needs to come in and explain herself. 60 minute style. That's what we're about. Oh, yeah. Diane Sawyer. Not on 60 Minutes. I know, but that was... I'm... I'm Morley... What was his name? Morley Safer. Morley Safer. Morley Safer. I'm Anderson Cooper. I'm... Andrew Gundling. (laughs) Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. She probably... All that and more on 60 Minutes. How much would she tell us? I mean, she's so vague here. She sat down with Alexi and Hope. I I want names. (laughs) Names, incidents. Seriously, if you're going to come out and torture your teammates... No, you're right, because now everyone's under suspicion. Which is the unfair thing but of also kind of going right clear. to the edge but not going over it. She talked about the culture was so toxic and she singled out a lack of unity. Explain to me how that manifested itself. I don't want this vagueness. A team can, I mean, in terms of how it manifested itself, you know, it wouldn't be the first team ever to have battles going on behind the scenes that was outrageously successful. Of course. I mean, we're talking about behind the scenes books. I think it was Jeff Perlman who wrote about the 86 Mets. Yeah. And the bad guys were, won. Yeah. They had a brawl amongst each other on picture day. Yeah. like, And they were one of the most memorably great baseball teams of recent memory. They so, were utterly dysfunctional. Yeah. As, it happens all the time. So if you can be great enough to overcome that stuff. And I think that's what happened with this, this U.S. team. I need details. I, I would love I, some details. Honestly, if you're going to go this far, go the rest of the way. Anything else? That is the truncated mailbag. Well, there you go. And that is this edition of Caught Offside. We couldn't get out of this, though, JJ. You should all know, JJ, he walked into the studio today. The first thing he says, oh. <laughs> I made a joke. He first says, hey, of all, oh, hey whoa, Andrew, whoa, whoa, how's whoa. it going? Oh. I made a joke. Scored over the weekend. No big deal. Stop talking about it, would you? Yeah, I scored. So what's the big deal? It Enough. Was, it was funny. <laughs> it was funny. You were there. You barely got a chance to ask me how I was. And I said, scored a goal at the weekend, an equalizer. Get over it. Can you stop talking about it for a second? I'm very proud of you. It was a joke. I'm proud of you. Oh, did, wait, you didn't score? No, I did. But it was oh, the okay. way I told you was a joke. Obviously. Self-deprecation. I understand humor. No, you just want to rinse me. No one me. knows humor better than me, you, all right? Yeah. <laughs> You just want to rinse me in front of our listeners. That's what's no, happening. No, I, I wanted to find a humorous way to mention it on the show so yeah. everyone can know that you did this. By the way, so it's a cross coming in from the right hand side. Tell me everything. It's been raining. Our player, our centre back, Joey, is attacking it. He misses it. I'm at the back post. I get, I get goal side. Perfect. Oh my defender lets me, and it's skip. It's skipping up off the turf towards me. I'm like, oh no. <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> so I chest control it just in front of me and the keeper's coming and I, I fall, like I'm falling over to, to, it's one of those where I'm, I, when it went in, it was, wasn't joy, total relief. So like, it's one of those where you replay it in your mind and, and you're nervous again. Oh yeah. You yeah. can feel the nerves Yeah, because it's just, and, and we really needed a goal in the game. This was, we were, we had gotten on top after being I wouldn't say played off the park in the first half, but they were the better side. Mm-hmm. So we, this was your opportunity. And, uh, yeah, 
turf talk and nerve talk. I, well, was, I was so nervous. Well, I'm very happy for you. It seemed like it was a big moment. That nah, was fun. It's all fun. It's, listen, to be even able to play at all, I'm just happy at this age. Oh, yeah. Come on. Give me all the quotes. Right out of I, you know, I was just, you know, delighted. Just swung a foot. Oh, at you're it. British now. Yeah, just swung a foot. At it got, you know, and, and and lucky enough went past the keeper. But you know, the boys were terrific, absolutely terrific. And oh. you know, obviously with the support of fans like Andrew, oh. you know, wonderful. There you go. That is caught offside for this week. We'll be actually not for this week. We'll be back on Friday uh, with a special bonus edition. We'll talk about the, uh, the Wednesday Champions League matches. There's Thursday uh, Premier League matches, and we're going to have Ian Wright on the show as well. So it Ian should be, Wright should be really really fun stuff. You're not going to want to miss that. Hey, to you I say. Take you later, fun boy. See you later, man. Take care, Andrew. You've been listening to the Caught Offside Soccer Podcast. 